Welcome to the Road to Life Church podcast. Here with our pastor, Micah Shepline, you will be inspired through the Word of God. For more information, please visit roadtolifechurch.com. I want to talk about something today, and we're calling it the warrior spirit. The warrior spirit. Now, Fun fact is, obviously, I, I, what I thought of this week is because I, I am not a dad. Um, I, my dad is here, uh, Pastor Mike, and then I have some spiritual fathers here, um, Wyatt, uh, Nate Harris, uh, Nick Talbot, all spiritual fathers of mine. Um, but, but more than anything, what I was, when I was asking myself, what are we going to talk about for Father's Day, I genuinely asked myself the question, what is the manliest passages of Scripture I can physically find? Right. And some of you guys might be shocked to hear some of these passages, but I th- hope for the vast majority of the dudes in here, girls, this is all about you too, all right? You can be warriors too, like Xeno warrior princess. Wasn't that a thing for a while? No? Anybody? Any other warrior women like TV? Wonder Woman. Wonder, yeah, Wonder Woman, I guess. <laughs> a little different, but... Um, but what I wanted to do is I wanted to give us just a couple man movies and let's just see if we can all recall what some of these titles are just to get the ball rolling in our warrior way of doing things this morning. So let's throw something up here. Let's go. Oh, anybody know what this one is? Come on. The Patriot. Okay, now we're going to start with the trifecta of Mel Gibson, right? Obviously, you see this and you immediately want to go outside and just cut a tree down or something. Uh, next one, right? What I say about the trifecta? We were soldiers. Classic. Nobody really watches or knows about it as much, but absolute classic. Mel Gibson just—he did it right. Thank you for Passion of the Christ too. But we're focusing on these this morning. The next slide, obviously classic here. Anybody know this one? Gladiator. Okay. Next one. Let's go. Oh, this is a tricky one. Anybody know this one? Tears of the Sun. Bruce Willis, great. Josh, I know you knew that one. You were just going to say it, but Tears of the Sun, great one, nice classic one. Maybe you guys this afternoon when the kids aren't around. Anybody know this one? Troy. Troy, okay. And then we got another one. This one's a newer one that I've really enjoyed. Anybody? Fury, okay. All right, we've got some movie buffs in here. And then I think there it is, classic one again. Does anybody know this one? Last Samurai. That one needs, that one needs to be talked about more. I don't it's not really in that this whole group sometimes, but Tom Cruise did a great job in that one. Anyway, let's talk about the Bible. Jeez. What are we doing at church today, right? All the dudes are like, all right, I got my afternoon. Let's, I haven't watched that one, that one, right? Um, anyway, the warrior spirit. That's what I want to talk about today. And really, we're going to be focusing um, today on 2 Samuel chapter 23. But before we get there, I want to just share a, a quick story because I, I really think that the toxicity of our world has a little bit dumbed down what creation and what God has intended for us as children of God and specifically even today as men of God. I feel like there's a toxicity of, of comfort, of consumerism, of just this idea of what manhood is that a lot of the times in Scripture is just not on par with what God thinks. And what I mean by this toxicity is a, a good example of this is uh, I, I had a house a few years ago. It was actually not even a quarter mile from here, and uh, I, I bought it. It was, a, it was a, a beater house, just, I mean, a beater. I mean, when I'm talking about a beater, we walked in, and there's like Sharpie writing on the walls, and they had a kid that used to punch holes in the walls too, and it was just all the black mold everywhere, and all the carpet was gross. It was, it was pretty awful, and I remember the first day we were there, 
we found out that the furnace didn't work, but luckily there was a gas fireplace. The only thing I didn't know about that is that gas fireplace was not vented. Um, and so naturally, I go over there for demo day with a couple of the guys, and we're working, and after about two or three hours, I'm feeling a little lightheaded, a little lightheaded. And I look at the guys I'm with, and, you know, I'm asking, how are you guys feeling? You know, a little lightheaded. We're just grinders. Keep going. Keep going. Right. Get her done. Right, Mom? Right. <laughs> if you know anything about my mom, my mom is, get her done. Right. So that day, we were going to rip up all the carpet. We were going to throw out all the crap and just start everything fresh. And I remember about probably a little after lunch, these guys are like, we're all like feeling it. And I remember they look at me and they're like, I don't think we can keep going. Like, our heads are hurting. Like, what is going on? And I'm like, ah, it's probably like black mold or something. Who cares, right? Uh, and so over the course of time, right, we get to this point where the, it's like probably 2 o'clock and they're like, we got to go. Dude, like, we do not feel good like this. And me, I mean, I was probably 21 at the time. I'm like, oh, I'm fine. I can keep going. But I'm feeling it a little. I'm like, this is... Like the, like it's like one of those where you look across the room and the room goes in slow motion behind you. You're like, okay, something's not quite right, but I'm working. Get her done. Right. We're laughing about that because it's my mom. She walks in my house yesterday and just starts cleaning. Just should have been done before, Micah. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, I remember probably about 4 or 5 o'clock. I mean, I'd been working there all day, and it is hitting me. I am like feeling it. And I start calling around buddies, and I'm like, dude, what is going on? Nobody's really anything. And Finally, I think it was my dad actually came over, naturally, because that's, that's how me and my dad work, is he, he gives you a list in the beginning of the day and shows up at the end. It better be done. <laughs> I remember, he, he like comes over, he goes, hey, I smell gas in here. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, how are you heating it? I'm like, oh, we got the fireplace started. He's like, that's not vented. Your whole house just smells and reeks like natural gas. Have you been working in here all day? And I proceeded to that night, continued to throw up for four hours afterwards as I had inhaled gas all day, not really knowing. Right. And why did I tell that story? Is because I think a lot of the times in our world today, we're, in, we're conditioned to be in environments uh, that we don't know are sickening to us. Right. We're conditioned to function, to reason, um, to go about life in ways that are sickening to our souls. See, because a lot of what, what, what I say about sickness is, is when I say that, a lot of us, we immediately go to a place of, of, of physical realm of sickness. But what I'm talking about is sometimes we get in these places of toxicity and what they're really sickening to is the soul, is the spirit, yeah. is to how you're supposed supposed to function. See, we weren't created to just function from a physical or cerebral mentality, but rather from a place of your soul being charged up and you having passion and vision and perspective for your life. But really, like I said, what I feel like a lot of the times is, is we're all like struggling through this world, not really realizing that the toxicity that's, that's dumbing down and making us a little bit sick to the things of God, we're not necessarily aware of. So today what I want to talk about is really, and, and, and it's the warrior spirit, but what I'm going to talk about specifically within that is the attributes of a warrior spirit. Because I believe all of us, whether you believe it or not, right, you were created and you were born into a fight in this world. 
you were born into a reality that you are going to have to a little bit scratch, claw, and try to find your footing because the enemy does not want you successful. He doesn't want you victorious, and he sure as heck doesn't want you taking any ground. And so what I want to talk about are these attributes, but before I do, we have to talk about, once again, the manliest passages of Scripture. Now, in my opinion, these are the most manliest because anytime you could, you could tell stories about uh, the most mighty warriors in all the Bible, right, I would say that they're going to be good stories. We already talked about the, the movies a little bit, but now we're going to talk about this a step further. Now, many of you guys know David, King David, he's the most famous king in all of the Old Testament. And actually, as he rises to kingship, he has this inner kind of circle of men, and it's called David's mighty men. Now, these, these mighty men, actually, they're, they're called the three, and it actually breaks down why they're called the three, because their exploits were so ridiculous, right? So what I want to do, and, and forgive me, I practiced these names a lot this last week, but I'm still probably going to butcher some, and that's okay. We're going we're gonna to give me grace for that. So we're going to read 2 Samuel 23, 8 to verse 21. <coughs> it says this, these are the names of the mighty men whom David had. This is the first one, and it is a big one. You see it up there? Joseph Bashebeth. That's a big one, right? A Tekamonite. He was chief of the three. He wielded his, sport, his spear against 800 who he killed at one time. Now, I would say we're getting the ball rolling with manliest passages of Scripture. If you knew somebody today who their claim to fame was they went into a battle with a spear against 800 and killed all of them, that would be a friend I would want to meet, <laughs> right? And, and to give you a little bit of perspective, 800, man, that's about the size of the city of Goebbels, right? <laughs> so this, this, we're getting the thing started. David's like, yeah, you, you know, anytime somebody challenges him, he's like, hey, where's the guy who killed 800? Where's the, where's the guy who wiped out Goebbels? Let's throw him at this one, right? Let's keep going. It says this. And next to him among the three mighty warriors was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, son of Abahai. He was with David when they defied the, the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel withdrew. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the men returned after him only to strip the slain. What is it saying? Is one day in a battle, everybody's retreating, but him and David stand their ground. And in standing their ground, he strikes so many down that he cannot even open his hand off of a sword because of what, how long he was clutching it and how hard he was fighting, right? Once again, we're talking about some manly stuff today. His Father's Day, Right? Verse 11, and next to him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils, and the man fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory. And the three of the 30 chief men went down and came about from harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam when a band of Philistines were encamped in the valley of um, Rapham. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistine and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried it and brought it to David. 
but he, he would not drink it. He poured it out before the Lord and said, far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who were at risk of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These are three mighty there are three things that the mighty men did, right? This one's interesting to me. It's like you just overhear him talking like, hey, I'd really like some Fiji water. And they're just like, all right, grab your swords. We're going through enemy lines, right? We're going to fill up a camel pack, and we're going to come back. And then the worst part is, is he's like, well, I'm not, if you guys risked your life for this, I'm not going to drink it and pours it out. I'd be mad. <laughs> be like, you know how many people we just had to fight for this? Like, you're going to pour that out in front of me? No, you're going to eat that off the mud ground right now, right? Let's keep reading because it, there's even a couple more examples that I think are, are, are pretty good. Um, verse 18, now Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zariah, was chief of the 30, and he wielded his spear against 300 men and killed them and won a name besides the three. So this guy, the 800 guy's like, oh, 300, that's good, I guess. Right, you got a spear, I got a spear, I did 800, you only did 300. Right, let's keep reading. He was the most renowned of the 30 and became their commander, but he did not attain to the three. And Benaiah, the son of Jehodia, was a valiant man of Kabzeel, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two aerials of Moab. Now, aerials of Moab, that's a term for the greatest warriors that Moab could summon up to fight. These are, these are essentially warriors that have been bred for battle since their youth. And so this guy didn't just strike down one of them, he struck down two, right? He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit when snow had fallen. I'm like, I love how that one's sprinkled in there. It's like... Everybody else is killing him, and he's like, oh, there's a snowy pit and a lion. Let's get it on, right? Let's keep going. Then he sa it says this, verse 21, and he struck down an Egyptian. This one was a handsome man. <laughs> it's like we're talking all about war right now, but good thing this Egyptian was handsome. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Benaiah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Right? I love that one because if you actually know what a staff is, a shepherd's staff is like he went to a fight with a shepherd's staff, right? That would be like in that day going up against somebody who had a gun and you brought a plastic fork, right? And he takes, what does it say? He takes his spear and then ultimately kills him. What am I trying to get at it today is that what we're really setting the table of is these guys were created for mighty works of courage. They were created to really be these people who followed King David. But more than followed King David, you see there's a particular DNA in these guys. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of the times, even in the New Testament, is we, we lose a little bit because Jesus is a God of love. He is a God of grace. He is a God of of mercy, and he is somebody who 100% should be perceived, viewed, and modeled after that. However, I do believe that there's elements of courage, there's elements of fight, and there's elements of you, we as people needing to go forward yeah. and fight for ground and yeah. continue to trust God that he's beside us. See, that's what we need to do. Yeah. But once again, it's just a lot easier. Sorry, I'm going to sneeze in three, two. Oh, it went away. Nope. Hold on. It's there. No, it's not there. Anyway, what I'm saying is, is that a lot of the times is we view God within all of that reality, which is not a bad place to be, but we also need to understand that there is a, a whatever your hands finds to do, do it with all your might. There is a, hey, there's a Goliath and you need to run at him and take him. Like the, the Old Testament gives countless examples of which I love the story even of Caleb, right? 
is that Caleb was, him and Joshua, two of the only spies that believed they could take the promised land. And Caleb becomes this guy that even in his dying days was like, hey, what land do you want? I want a mountain and I want to fight for every inch of it. Right, this, these are the people that are immortalized in the Bible, specifically in the Old Testament, and I believe today it's just a challenge for all of us. What are the attributes of a warrior today? Because once again, I think a lot of us are probably like, well, what does this have to do with anything? Because I'm not going to go grab a sword or a spear and just run into a crowd of people, which rightfully so, that would be weird <laughs> But really what I'm talking about today is I think a lot of the times is we have these attributes and these characteristics that we don't think, that we don't realize the Bible's trying to maybe highlight that really it is that actually pertain to us. So what I want to do is I want to break a couple of those down. The first one, attributes of a warrior spirit, they embrace impossible odds. You know, I think a lot of the times this is something that's been lost within the reality of following God is the moment that we're faced up against something that we absolutely cannot believe we are up against. It is just so easy to be like, well, I'm not, I'm good. I mean, in the face of whatever we're dealing with on a daily life perspective is that in our country today, when we're faced with impossible odds, that's just a locked, closed door that I guess we're not going through. But what I want to challenge us on today right, is that, is that these guys all faced long odds, and these long odds are what they're remembered for overcoming. And, my, and really, my statement for this point is, have we traded in the long odds of a God-sized dream for the complacency of comfort and stability, right? When I ask you, what are the long odds that you're believing for God to do in your life, right? Is it just, well, I'd like another house, or I'd like a better car, or I'd like more money, right? Those aren't long odds. That isn't a God-sized dream. And a lot of the times what we do is we, re we don't realize that God has given us a warrior mentality to fight for our promised land. Yet we don't even dream with him because the moment that we talk about long odds, it's a lot easier to not believe than it is to believe. Or even some of us, we've went through a season or we, went, we have th some things in our past that, that really were like, these were long odds and I don't think God can ever get me over them. I don't think I can ever get past this. I don't, if this is a good God, I don't know why this could ever happen to me. And essentially what I'm saying today is this, is you were created to continue to fight. Yeah. To continue to go forward. I'm going to be 100% honest with you. One of the most frustrating things um, here at the church is when people come to the Lord and there's a genuine enthusiasm, excitement, and, and, and God, I want you to change my life. I want to become more like you. And then they realize, wow, I actually, this is going to take work. But more than it's going to take work, there's going to be somebody who's fighting against me to gain ground. And what I mean by that is God's, maybe some of us, we've had this reality of, okay, God, you're good, I'm in my word, all, and all of a sudden, all this bad stuff is happening. You know, we're going to church, and our car's breaking down, everything's going wrong, the kids are going crazy, you and the wife are arguing, all the stuff, and you're like, wow, I thought this was going to be easier. And I've said this a thousand times, but I would say it a thousand more. God did not promise you an easy life. But I can tell you this, he promised you one that'll be worth it if you follow him. See, a lot of us, we want easy lives, but in the process of fighting for that easy, we trade in what's actually worth it. If you want a life that's worth it, you're going to have to fight for it. 
And what I'm trying to say today is that some of us, we're facing impossible odds in this room even right now. And those are the greatest stories that God uses to overcome. Those can be the most galvanizing moments of our lives is when we embrace the long, long odds and just say, God, this is brutal. This is painful. This is tough. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know how you're going to do it. But I'll pick up my spear. The second thing is this. They know what their best weapons are to fight with. You know, a lot of the times this is a thing in, in the church today is like when I say weapons, right? You're like, oh, the sword of the spirit, the breastplate of righteousness, right? Get the word of God out. It cuts between the bone and the marrow. Amen, mom, right? Amen. <laughs> but what am I trying to say is that if you noticed about all of these stories, right? First thing we, we focused in on is they embraced long odds. It actually broke down some of the odds that they faced. But the second thing is, is it actually breaks down what weapon they chose to fight with, right? Some of them fought, fought with a spear, some of them with a sling, some of them with a, with a sword, some of them with a staff. And actually in other chapters it says that a lot of them were proficient with their right and their left hand, right? It actually is very descriptive about what they fought with. Do you think they fought with something they were unfamiliar with? Do you think they fought with something that they didn't really believe would get the job done? No, they fought with something that they knew could help them win. And what I'm trying to say today is this, church, is that I think a lot of the times we're fighting with things in our life that actually won't help us win. If you're fighting in your own strength, that's not going to help you win. If you're not fighting with Scripture, if you're not fighting with God, if you're not fighting with the Holy Spirit, if you're not fighting with the practical things that he's given us, in all honesty, you will not win some of these battles. And I know that's difficult to understand, but I think that a lot of the times what we do is we wonder why we keep losing fights, and God says, well, it's because you don't know your Bible. It's because you're not intimate with me. It's because you don't have a committed lifestyle. It's because a lot of these things are rooted. Your ability to overcome and step into victory is directly related to how you're living out Jesus' personification. And a lot of us, like I said, man, it feels like we're losing battle after battle. And if we asked ourselves what are the weapons we're fighting with, some of us wouldn't even be able to say anything related to God or Jesus, mainly because it's a lot easier to just fight with what you think might win than to fight with something that he can win with because it's just a foreign concept. I encourage you today, right? I don't have my phone on me, but, you know, for me personally, in every season of my life, the God gives me a scripture on which I'm standing on. So there's two scriptures that are on the back of my phone every time I open it. And these are the scriptures I'm standing on, Right? And for, I can give you example after example. You better believe when I'm in a fight, I have people I can call. I have people who I will talk to, and I have people that will pray with me. I have people that will be believing with me. You better believe when I'm in a fight, the very first thing I'm doing is lifting my hands in worship because if God can rip down the Jericho walls, which I'm going to tell you is more than anything that you could ever read in Scripture. I mean, these walls were massive. Just by one shout of praise, he can rip down some walls in your life. All I'm saying is these are examples of weapons we should be fighting with, but they're the last things we grab and we wonder why we lose. I just want to encourage you today. These men were famous because they knew what they could win with. Yeah. I promise you this is God can win with you. You have to pick up the right things. The third thing, they're very clear on who the enemy is. 
very clear. If you notice, remember, it talks about their exploit. And usually in their exploit, it talked about the weapon they used. It talked about how many people they faced. And it talked about the specificness of the enemy. Remember, right, the handsome Egyptian, right, the Moabite, right, the Philistine, right? We're ta- there's layers and layers of very descriptive material in this. And really what it's saying is, is they knew who the enemy was, who they were fighting against. And if I asked you today, what is the enemy you're fighting against? See, a lot of us, we don't even know that. And it's easy to just throw out, oh, we're in church, the devil. But I want to take it a step further because this week I was actually praying And I felt like the Lord gave me a couple enemy attacks that people were dealing with in here but that they're not familiar with or they don't even know they're fighting against. And I have about 10 of them. So I felt like the Lord said that the enemy's trying to drive a wedge between marriages, you and your wife, and trying to get you to believe it's time to move on. It won't get better. It's not worth it. I felt like the enemy was attacking the sense of self-worth, beating you up for what you haven't done instead of what you have done. Attacking your purity to pull you away from intimacy with the Holy Spirit by lust or porn. Isolating you by getting you to prioritize the wrong things so you have no time for the things that actually matter to you and fill you up. Notice I use the word isolation in that because that's what it really is. Is that when you're in an identity that doesn't fill you up, that doesn't add to your life, you're isolating yourself to a place of weakness. See, when, when you're being fueled with the things that should be fueling you up, you're strong. And not only that, it's typically it brings around people who continue to strengthen you and you strengthen them. But when you only do things that just suck the life out of you, that's isolation. And that's how the enemy works. I love the narrative of scripture where it says he, the, the enemy's roaring around like a lion, seeking those who he can devour. You know how lions hunt? Is they hunt the stragglers. They don't, they don't, target whole herds or groups you know what they do is they assess who's the sick who's the weak who's the one behind I'll take that one out and what I'm saying today is that some of us were living our lives doing things that aren't filling us up that aren't adding to us and we're wondering why we're so bone dry another one getting you offended whenever anyone tells you something you don't want to hear but you need to hear and breeding bitterness and offense in your heart. And in my opinion, this one is widespread in America. Widespread. We are entitled to our feelings, and if you don't make my feelings good feelings, then you're a terrible person. Proverbs 29.1 is a great passage. It says, a man who hardens his neck against reproof will suddenly be broken beyond repair. That's a pretty deep language there. Somebody who hardens his neck against correction, teaching, or reproof will be broken beyond repair. Another one, getting you to doubt your abilities so your dreams are defeated before you can ever even bring them to God. Getting you to doubt who you are, getting you to doubt who God has created you to be so that the moment you start having a God-sized dream, it's defeated before it ever leaves your mouth because there's no way you could ever do it. Getting you addicted to things that destroy your mind, heart, and soul so that whenever you find yourself in a fight, he's essentially already won. I can't tell you how sin works like that. 
is that when we live in a lifestyle of sin, which is consistently missing the mark, the moment we feel like God's challenging us or convicting us to walk out in a new direction or a new spirit, we immediately rationalize and we immediately say, well, there's no reason I can do that and there's no reason he can do that because have you seen how I've lived? Have you seen what I've done? I pray today that we are not people who look at the sacrifice of Jesus and say, well, that wasn't enough for me. That's not enough for me to change. That didn't really cover all my sin. It covered your sin. It covered your mistakes. It covered your wrongs. I felt like this was another one. The enemy's building a stronghold of control that's evident by outbursts of anger that come out of nowhere seemingly when something happens that throws your plans or expectations off track. This one's me personally. And the reason it is is because I was... uh, asking the Lord why I was having fits of rage when Illinois people cut me off on the weekends here. <laughs> Does anybody know that feeling? <laughs> Is that just me? Yeah, right, we all know. You're like, you're not even in our state. You're, you're the wrong state. <laughs> like, forgive me, God. But. And it's like, because I had a plan, I had an expectation, and I had a reason of control that, okay, I'm gonna get here at a certain time by, and all of a sudden when things that didn't meet that expectation, that didn't, get me to that plan that didn't get me right on track when it wasn't met how I wanted I'd have these outbursts of anger and the Lord's like all that anger is coming from is you're not in control and your lack of control is being manifested in your anger and I pray today that some of us maybe we've always I'm just gonna say this in America we all struggle with control when I say oh yeah we want God in control right we all raise our hands and then when he does get in control by taking the control from us we're like what is this attack of the enemy It's like we serve a God who actually is in control, and sometimes his control looks a lot different than yours. But be okay with it. These are just some of those attacks. You need to be very clear on the enemy you're facing. What is the enemy you're facing in your day-to-day life? What is the enemy that you can feel is driving a wedge in your heart between you and the things of God, between the mindset of God? We have to be people who say, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to be clear on the enemy. I'm going to be clear on what's gonna, what the weapon is that I need to use to address what the enemy is doing. And I'm going to embrace these long odds. I'm going to trust. I'm going to step out. The last one is this, and this one I think is so important. If you notice, all of these men had incredible fortune. They had incredible talent. They had incredible stories of God doing things. But you want to know one thing that they didn't have is their own name because they were actually known as David's mighty men. And what I'm saying to you is today is this. They knew how to follow and submit to other people. Once again, we're coming against everything our country believes because to follow is a weakness. To submit is a weakness. To have somebody else's principles, priorities, or ways of thinking above your own is a weakness. And these men, if you look at their story, outside of this passage of Scripture, they're just known as David's mighty men. That's it. 
Very rarely do you actually see their names. They're submitted to David in whatever he's doing. And I want to encourage you today to find people that you can submit to their knowledge and their wisdom. And I'm not talking platform people like me or, or my parents, right? But find people that you can submit to their knowledge, to their authority, to their wisdom, and to their instruction. And I promise you it'll make you a better follower of Jesus. It'll make you a better person. It'll make you a better man. It'll make you a better wife. It'll make you better. And a lot of the times, once again, is I think we don't want to learn from anyone else. And we wonder why we have incredible strengths, but we have these weaknesses that we can never get over. See, all of us are given talents. But the talents aren't what you're going to be entrusted to develop. The weaknesses are. You know how you address weaknesses? You look at your life and you say, I'm weak in this area. God... Who can I find that's strong in it that will help change me? In my life, I can tell you tons of people that are in my, I, I have a saying, is, it, is your network is your net worth. Because a lot of us, we, we, we focus on the net worth, but we don't realize that the net work is better than any net worth. Because if you have a net work, you can get through anything really financially because you know that guy, you know this guy, this guy can help you, that person can help you, this girl can help you, all these things. And what I'm saying today is this, is that a lot of us, what we're doing is we're looking at our lives and we're wondering why we could have so many talents but continue to be defeated. Find people who are overcoming the areas that you're being defeated in and ask them how they've done it. Ask them what they do. And I'm going to tell you this, it's going to be way different and it's going to be way, I'll be honest, I'm going to take it a step further. Some of us, we need to bridge the political divide. If we're Republicans, we can talk, we should be talking to some Democrats. If we're Democrats, we should be talking to Republicans. Some of us, we need to break, we need to uh, bridge the socioeconomic class if we're middle class let's find some upper class let's find some lower class let's find people who will sharpen us and make us better people find people who look different than you who have a different skin color who have a different background see this is what it's meant to be in the kingdom is everybody coming together and being better for it but all we've done in this country it feels like the last year and a half is write off stereotype and distance ourselves from the very people God has called us not not only to love, to live, and to walk beside, but the very people who probably could be helping us win our battles, but we're too busy nitpicking. David's mighty men had no reason to just be submitted to him. I mean, the dude killed 800 people in a field with a spear. Do you think he needs David? But I submit, but I follow but I trust and I'll get behind. In closing, I'm losing my notes. <laughs> Attributes of the warrior spirit, they embrace impossible odds. They know what their best weapons are to fight with. They're very clear who the enemy is and they know how to follow and submit. I pray today that we realize that we are created to be warriors but you can't be a warrior without a warrior spirit. And we all can have a spirit of God, I'll fight. And in that fight, I pray that we see and sense God's victory. Let's all stand to our feet.